Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Mark Fraley Podcast. Today is December 9, 2022. It's a rainy Friday here in Nashville. It has been a soggy mess and gray here for the last uh, week or so, and certainly the rain is helping to get us out of the drought that we've had, but it would be great to see some sunshine. Thanks, as always, to Ron Trammell for our jazzy intro music, and a shout out to today to Sherry Brandon, Maureen May, and the Second Sunday Garden Club here in Nashville for inviting me to speak a few weeks back. It was great fun to share and to be among such dedicated backyard conservationists. It has been a few weeks since my last podcast, and we've had some time spending uh, some time traveling. Had the good fortune to attend the annual meeting of the Tennessee Recreation and Parks Association in Gatlinburg last month, and particularly the gathering of the past presidents, fellows, and outstanding young professionals. This is a great group of people, many of whom have been my guests on the podcast, and no doubt some who will be guests in the future. Are you a fan of Tennessee State Parks? Do you want to step forward and get more hands-on in supporting what they do? One way to do so would be to join one of the many friends groups which have been established to support the parks. On today's program, we will talk with Nancy Shaleen, who is the volunteer coordinator for Tennessee State Parks. And what an interesting job she has. Working from Park Central Office, Nancy engages with about 50 active friends organizations throughout the state. These organizations provide a wide variety of assistance and support to the parks with special projects, events, programs, and fundraising. And they are always looking for new and energetic people to get involved. It's great fun to hear Nancy talk about some of the many success stories out there in the parks. So listen in and you might just learn how to become involved. And we will get started with our interview right after this brief message. Hi, this is Heather Lose, Editor-in-Chief of the Tennessee Conservationist Magazine. Every year, we publish six beautiful issues packed full of timely and informative stories about Tennessee culture, people, and places. You can stay informed about your world and all the great things happening in your Tennessee state parks. It's easy to subscribe. Just go to our website at tnconservationist.org. Thank you. Nancy Shaleen, welcome to the Mark Fraley Podcast. Thanks, Mark, for having me. Nancy, it's great great to meet you. uh, You and I have never met in person that I recall. Um, I I was at an event some years ago with the uh, Tennessee Parks Foundation, uh, or Conservancy, I should say. Um, down at down at Cent, uh, Bicentennial Park, um, and uh, I, I don't. Were you were you at that event? I actually was at that. Okay, event. well maybe we met down there. Uh, it was it was quite a hot day, and uh, they had an auction going on and all kinds of nice nice features of that event. So, um, well, it's nice to, to re- get reacquainted. Yes. So Nancy. Um, this, this podcast essentially is about the people that work in parks and recreation and the environment and conservation. Uh, I like to start with my guests um, 
and, and give the my listeners the benefit of listening to learning a little bit about how you uh, got involved in parks and you know how was this a career choice that you've made and uh, and tell us how how that happened for you. Well, um, I am actually the first person to ever hold this position, and my background is actually in business. Okay. And um, I've had a lifelong uh, curiosity and connection uh, to the outdoors, having uh, been involved in the science club early on in elementary school, uh, in the outdoor club when I was in high school, and then, of course, a Girl Scout uh, throughout elementary school, junior high, and high school, and then receiving the highest honor, the gold award. Now, tell so, I don't know I don't know what the gold award is. Oh, it's equivalent to the Boy Scouts uh, Eagle Scout. Okay, all right. I, I don't know why I never knew that. Ah, yes. Um, and I got that when I was about 15 years old. Um, and there's other awards and patches, of course, that you earn along along the way. But it's the high it's the highest honor that you can you can get as a Girl Scout. Um, and actually, that particular troop that I was involved with uh, did a lot of outdoor activities. And my troop leader always thought that girls could do the th same things as boys. And so we did a lot of camping and hiking. And paddling so it was it was fantastic so i had an early exposure to the outdoors and love of the outdoors nancy that's ter that's terrific i i have to tell you that it's it's a, a constant uh in in these conversations with with people uh that scouting has had a a major influence on their life um i don't recall and i've interviewed many women in in conservation but i think you're the first one to actually mention girl scouting um, but, oh, uh, wow. yeah, but th that's, uh, that's just a terrific thing. Uh, and I understand that you're from, uh, upstate New York somewhere. I'm actually from Long Island. Okay. And, uh, so we have had many state parks on Long Island. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And, uh, I want to say the one that I remember fondly, Nisiquag River State Park and Wildwood State Park. So. Okay. Both have had an impact uh, on on me, and uh, yeah. New York has some terrific state parks. Uh, I, I'm lucky lucky to have been to several, um, um, and 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 they're and they're well managed and uh, and and beautiful. Um, no no question about it. They they are, and they they unfortunately don't have a friends and volunteer coordinator. I've had some conversations with them, and they are they're envious but they say they're just they're too massive <laughs> well they be. <laughs> yeah they have a huge huge system uh and and they're they're you know you know the uh, the adirondack state park alone would it would be a mind-boggling thing to try to manage right um, right um i i actually was at saratoga Springs state state park um in 1986 and actually was there at right around Christmas time. Uh, so there was snow on the ground. Uh, and um, we just had a wonderful experience there. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've been to that, that park, but it's, um, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a resort area. They have a, a golf course and fine dining restaurant and all that kind of thing. So, oh, wow. yeah. Yeah, I uh, haven't been to many of the state parks uh, in uh, upstate New York. 
but uh, my understanding is that is very similar to Tennessee. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it's it's one one thing that that is remarkable about the way they do business, though, is they uh, many of the enterprise operations that they have, for instance, restaurants and ho- hotels where they have them, they don't attempt to self-operate them. Uh, they have uh, vendors that they uh, lease those facilities to, and um, and that has worked for them. Um, so you're, you're managing a contract more more than actually managing a facility and a right. and, and that sort of thing. Well, we we really skipped over at the beginning here. Just tell us exactly what is your title and what what is it that you do in Tennessee State Parks. So I am the uh, Friends and Volunteer Program Manager. So I am over the Friends Group Program and then our volunteer efforts at state parks. Um, And I work for the Interpretive Programs and Education uh, Division within state parks. Um, Most recently with my new boss, Rob Barrett, he has called our program stakeholder engagement so okay. i'm working with it with anyone right that is is interested in uh partnering with the uh, tennessee tennessee state parks in the way of an official group uh or or a volunteer uh or a volunteer group individuals and groups you know the 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 Developing friends organizations is is a has been a trend in the last fifteen or years or more in parks generally around the country. Um, uh, in my mind, uh, these sorts of efforts are inspired by what the National Park Service did early on uh, with the Eastern Parks uh, Association and the Western Parks Association. And for those that don't know that. These are corporations that that work as as the descriptions uh, imply in the eastern and western United States, and they do concession operations um, for the National Park Service in the nature of the gift shops and that sort of thing that that you find in the visitor center at national parks. Those are not those are not owned and operated by the Park Service, uh, but by this friends organization. Uh, and there's a special enabling act, federal enabling act that that uh, allows the Park Service to sell, to deal directly with those organizations. Um, and I understand from reading about your program that uh, apparently the legislature in Tennessee passed uh, an, able, an enabling act for for the for purposes that you're working on. They did um, in 1993. Uh, that was before my time, but there are still folks that are uh, working for Tennessee State Parks that were involved in getting that legislation passed. Uh, names that are probably familiar to a lot of folks: Bobby Fulcher, right, Stuart right, Carroll, right. Uh, a former boss of mine, Charlie Tate, right. uh, and so uh, that enabled our state park system to partner with these. Uh, 501c3 nonprofits to enhance the purposes, programs, and and functions of our state park system. You know, it it it, it was is interesting. Uh, I, I was thinking about that, and and I thought to myself, my first impression was, why would there be a need for special law for that? And then I thought, well, you know, the the purchasing and 
conflict of interests and all that kind of stuff, the laws pertaining to state government might impede uh, direct dealing with a specific uh, organization, be it profit or nonprofit. Uh, and I, I guess, that, is that the theory of why that enabling was, was necessary? I, I, I think I think you're right. I don't I don't know for certain, but yeah. that 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 certainly seems to make to make sense to me that they couldn't favor any one particular right. Right. Uh, entity. But by having this enabling legislation, these groups can be specific to a particular site or or sites. Right. All right. So let's look at the lay of the land here in Tennessee State Parks. You've got at last count, what, 56 or 57 we just uh, added. We just added one. Uh, Fifty-seven. Actually, we split one part into, right, into right. two. So Down at South that. Cumberland, you split <laughs> one off, um, and that's happened several times. And and uh, we're, we're uh, a property has been under the jurisdiction of one of the parks and has been, has become a park in its own right. Um, so where do we have these friends organizations and and tell us about what they're doing? Sure. Uh, we have 48, no, excuse me, 49. We just added one this year. Uh, friends of organizations that support a state park. And then we have two friends of organizations that support a state natural area. So we have 51 in total. And we have, uh, I, I guess that's about 80 some odd percent of our parks that have an organization that is specifically uh, supporting them in in this way, um, and I, before uh, getting on the podcast this morning, I uh, I know you had said to kind of highlight some things that my groups were working on, right, and right. I do an I do an accomplishment uh, document every year for our management to highlight those things that our groups are doing, and they're just there's so many wonderful things. Uh, it's everything from land acquisition to audiovisual equipment. It is um, supporting uh, registration fees for junior ranger camps. It's historical research. It's uh, historical preservation. It's supplies. It's volunteer time. Um, and sometimes they uh, will do these things in partnership with the park and pay for a part uh, of a particular program or activity, or it's a it's a standalone and they completely support it them, themselves. And so a lot of times it may go unnoticed, but these groups are just really important uh, to us um, supporting, uh, you know, our our goals and priorities. Nancy, you know, I've, I've uh... I will say to my listeners, and, and this may be interesting for you to hear, um, I sort of am a troll on, on Facebook, I confess. And, <laughs> and I, I sub, you know, like and subscribe to the, 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 um, the feed of numerous of, those organi- of the organizations that we're talking about, the Friends of Cedars of Lebanon, the Friends of, Nat- of um, Radnor Lake, um, Friends of Dunbar Cave, Friends of Fall Creek Falls, Friends of Edgar Evans, I, I'm, and um, Sycamore Shoals. Um, I'm on, I get those feeds all the time. And so the diversity of activities that these organizations are involved in is, is remarkable. 
Um, I, I should say that um, just as an example of an activity, Cedars of Lebanon each spring has a wildflower sale that's conducted by the, uh, the Friends of, of Cedars of Lebanon State Park, which is an outstanding program. Uh, anybody that's interested in, in uh, native plant gardening can go to this, um, this event and pick up at, at a really reasonable price, uh, authentically uh, propagated uh, you know, native plants for their garden at home and, and learn something. Uh, the, the volunteers there are very knowledgeable about what they're doing. Um, so that's just an example of, one, of an activity that's conducted by a friends group that if it had been left up to you know the the basic staff at the at the park probably would never get done uh, it's just it's just too big of a task along with other things that they're doing to manage that um, are there other outstanding uh, programs or activities that you might point us to yeah, and I'm I'm going to reach back because there are actually some outstanding things that had, have been done. Um, and one of them was at Henry Horton State Park, where they did a lead reclamation um, at the Oh, you know, that's exactly right. I, rem mm -hmm. I remember that. Tell us, tell our, our listeners about that, because that's lead reclamation doesn't, what that really entails doesn't really uh, come to mind right quickly, but I know what it was. You, you tell us about it. Right, right. The um, the the shots from the the guns, of course, land in the in the field on the trap and skeet range. Trap and, and over skeet the course range, of, exactly. Over the course of the years, uh, it it builds up, and they hired a company to come in and reclaim all that lead and i want to say there was over a hundred tons of lead that was pulled out of the field uh and then a portion of the money that they received from recycling that lead went back to the friends organization to support uh programming at the park uh one of which is their duck river watershed program that they do with the elementary school kids so you know that's an that's a fascinating thing you know the hunters and fishermen will know that uh, that lead is not really used in in um, in shotgun shells anymore uh, because it's toxic to birds and uh, and to wildlife. Um, they use steel uh, in in shotgun shells these days. But uh, that's a that's a terrific example. And and Henry Horton ha continues the, uh, with their with their uh, friends organization. Uh, they they do, and um, they most recently had a um, oh goodness they had a a wheel uh, a mill wheel from the state museum that was um, removed from their storage their basement and taken out to the park. Uh, and they had that restored and they're using it for, for education. And a lot of that was funded by uh, a grant from uh, one of the corporations uh, in, in the area. So do, I, do I recall that there had, in, in, hist in history, historic times, there had been a mill there on the Duck River uh, within the park's boundaries uh, and that this was kind of taken back to the place where it, it had it had come from is that 
Is that even yeah, remotely? Yeah, it's gristmill. Sorry, that was the word. It was escaping right. me. Right, right. <laughs> and um, they had, this has been a project on the radar for several years, and they were looking at, uh, you know, wheels from other states and having it taken apart and transported, but um, not quite sure how they uh, landed on one that the Tennessee State Museum had, but how, how fortunate and not a far distance to travel. <laughs> it's amazing that the, the State Museum would let them have it uh, for, for those kind of purposes. If, I don't right. understand how that works, but so, so cool. You know, another uh, program that I'm aware of, we may just have a back and forth here, um, Dunbar Cave um, has had a um, band concert in the cave opening. Uh, I guess for a couple years during the pandemic, it was it was not done. But uh, they just this past fall had had a big band concert in the in the cave opening there at uh, Dunbar Cave, uh, produced by the friends of Dunbar Cave, uh, and quite a successful program, I understand. It is cooling at the cave. That's the name of it. it. Yeah, yeah, that's cooling the name at of it. The cave. Yeah, and um, they uh, they work with, um, and I want to say it's called Cumberland Winds, which is um, a musical group that actually performs at that event. And I want to say it's a nod to the big band era. Right. Exactly. Roy Acuff, mm -hmm, exactly. Exactly. Uh, had done the very same thing. So. Um, yes, that has grown in popularity. It did take a little hiatus during the pandemic, um, but uh, you know, it, it's 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 a, it's a fun thing, but it's also an interpretive thing. I mean, that's the history of that of that uh, natural area is that that opening of the cave has a big dance floor out in front of it. It and, does uh, during the during the big band era. That was a, a place where people came to dance and listen to the music and stay cool in the summertime with the. 55 degree uh, air coming out of the op opening of the cave. Right, right. Um, and they also, in addition to um, some of the great events that they uh, host in conjunction with the park, they have recently um, pulled together a video uh, that uh, folks can view in the visitor center that may not have the ability to walk through the cave. And so, um, I know that they just gotten some grant money to uh, complete that interpretive video as well. Right. And I guess that's the idea is, uh, you know, the programs are fun and uh, in, essentially a lot of, you know, they're interesting in their own right, but they also raise money uh, that can be used for other purposes, you know, at the various parks. Yes. All right. So how does one become involved in one in uh, these organizations if you're a citizen out there uh, and you uh, routinely um, visit a particular park and you want to get involved what what would you suggest uh, that they do so there's one of two ways um, most of our friends of organizations are membership organizations and so you can join them for a very reasonable yearly uh, dues and the other way is to donate to a particular fundraising campaign and a lot of that information is on our website where we list all the groups uh, that do support a state park 
with links back to their websites or their Facebook pages mm -hmm. that give more information about the individual groups. Um, and most people support the parks that are in their areas as they are more commonly uh, a visitor at those particular sites. But we have right. people that support um, sites from hundreds of miles away uh, and even from out of state. Right, right. And But, you know, each of these organizations has regular meetings. And if a citizen wants to to get more involved and roll up their sleeves, uh, I guess those meetings are open to the public and, and people can come and and uh, meet meet the other people that are involved and figure out a way to to uh, to volunteer their time. I don't think anybody's going to be turned away that's that's uh, got an interest in in helping. Absolutely not, and right. they are always looking for uh, people to step into to leadership roles. And yes, mm. those meetings are open uh, to the public. And yeah, if anybody is is curious uh, before um, becoming a member or giving a contribution, I encourage them to attend one of those meetings to learn more. Right. You know, early on, in, as we were talking, you mentioned that there were friends groups affiliated with or, or coordinating with uh, the natural areas. Uh, probably the oldest of the friends groups is the Radnor Lake friends group. Am I wrong about that? I mean, I think they, 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 they pre, uh, pre-existed the, uh, the establishment of the park. They did. Yeah, 73 yeah. Right, uh, right. was when that group had formed. Right. Uh, there's a little bit of a battle. Fort Loudon <laughs> oh, okay. was, All right. was actually um, that group organized in 1933. And so... No um, kidding. <laughs> I, did, I, I didn't know that. A Friends mm -hmm. of Fort Loudon. It's Be called the Fort Loudon Association. It's one okay. of our organizations that doesn't utilize the word friends of. I got um, it. Which uh, they, that that property, of course, we did not own in 33. Um, but uh, that group has been in existence since since the 30s. That's fascinating. You know, Fort Loudon uh, is down near Sweetwater, Tennessee, down yes. in that area. Um, mm -hmm. And it is... Um, property that I think, if I'm not mistaken, came into the possession of the state uh, by virtue of being transferred from the Tennessee Valley Authority that had that had acquired the, the land to build the Fort Loudon Lake. Um, and then uh, knowing that that historic fort had been there, uh, transferred the property to the state for the purposes of development of the state park. So apparently there's been a group down there uh, uh, promoting that uh, that program for for a long, long time before it got before it got done finally. Yes, yes, and uh, they do a lot of living history programs. Uh, they're uh, primarily done by by the Friends Group. Um, and, People dress uh, up as as mm -hmm. uh, colonial settlers and soldiers and such as that. Yes, You're right. Well, and this, these are examples of how friends groups have been uh, instrumental in the creation of parks. Um, I think Rocky Fork is another example of a, of a local organization that, that uh, is largely responsible for the fact that it's now a state park, the state park there. And, and there is a friends group there at Rocky Fork, way up in Irwin, Tennessee. There is, and those happened um, 
not simultaneously, but in the the in acquiring that property as a state park, those same people who protected that land transitioned into our our friends group. Right. The Radnor Lake group is is continues to be quite active. Um, and is always about the business of trying to figure out uh, new acquisitions to Radnor Lake. Um, uh, it seems like every year or so they uh, piece together some sort of a donation or, or, or have raised a bunch of money to buy properties adjacent to Radnor to protect that watershed. Yes, yes. I'm always surprised that they can find a half acre, acre here and there. <laughs> Right, and each each one is is important. Um, now, Nancy, you know we have some some properties, uh, state parks that are in some remote daggone places out in Tennessee. And as as we talked in pre- preparation for today's talk, we talked about Mousetail Landing uh, down near Lobeville, Tennessee, uh, Perry County, Tennessee, is maybe the least populous state in uh, county in Tennessee. Um, or very close to it. Uh, and I, I ask you, did you have places that were struggling to find uh, citizen volunteers to formulate or form, form uh, friends groups? Uh, yes. And in fact, Mousetail Landing is a success in being revitalized when okay. that group had first started. Um, they um, had a board of directors and they needed to continue to build their membership in order to uh, sustain that organization, uh, which is one of the more difficult things for groups to do. And they just were not successful in doing so. It went dormant for a period. And then somebody who very much loved the park came in and had a discussion with the current uh, staff and wanted to um, take the reins of that organization, found other people to join that board, and they are now actively uh, supporting supporting that site. Are there other uh, properties that, that um, ha- have orphan groups or, or just are lacking a group that you're working on? Um, I'm trying to think. I think they're all in good standing at, okay. at the moment. They okay. all have leadership, but they all could benefit there are vacancies on some of those boards uh and so they could benefit from somebody that does have a love of a particular state park in their area uh from someone if they were interested in um being in such a role to to reach out and and see if they could be of assistance um and even if it isn't a you know a board member role they're always needing volunteers for the uh other events and activities that they support and but you do have some parks that just don't have it don't have a a a group at all we have just a handful that do not have um, a group at all and in some instances we also have um partners and so there is an organization in the community that serves as a friend's organization and instead of competing with them we partner with them i got it Mm -hmm. so the sergeant yark patriotic foundation is a good example their scope is larger than just the park and so we partner with them since it is such a tiny community (laughs) yeah a small community like that uh, 
having two separate organizations might might be a challenge, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about Big Hill Pond? Is that does that have a friends organization? It sure does. Wow. Um, and it is an active friends organization. Um, they just recently installed a uh, disc golf course uh, there at Big Hill Pond. That became a very popular uh, activity during the pandemic. <laughs> How that's so that's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tell you what, I that is just such a beautiful little area. Um, but again, very remote. It's in Pocahontas, Tennessee, uh, just just about. I guess 15 or 20 miles north of Selmer, Tennessee. Um, and, you have um, to want to go there. You have to, you have to <laughs> want to go there because it's not on the way to any, any place else. Right. Uh, so um, just, a, just a beautiful spot. Well, this has been fascinating to learn about, and I thank you for uh, spending a little bit of time with us today. Um, can you can you put your finger on anything in the future that you're working on that you want people to to know about? I will say that we do have um, <clears throat> the Friends of Harrison Bay, uh, which is out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, is actively fundraising for a playground and has been for um, sev- several years, and they are just cobbling together donations uh, in order to get that uh, project off the ground. So if you're looking to support something this holiday season and um, you would like to support a state park, I I encourage you to uh, to look up the Friends of Harrison Bay and see how you can donate to that project. Dynamite. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a, it's been a, a great pleasure to get to know you a little bit better and and I think our listeners will benefit from, from what you've had to, to offer to us today. So thank you very much. Great. Thank you so much, Mark. All right.